I Hurt is a podcast for all young people who have been wounded in their heart, in their relationship with God, in their body, or in reputation. I Hurt is for those who daily, often silently, cry, I hurt, but feel unheard. You aren't. I Hurt stands on the truth that Jesus Christ loves you and God your Father grieves deeply over what has been done or said to or about you. I Hurt is about God first, then about us. We believe God too cries, I hurt. Not only over the things done to us, but he equally hurts over the things done by us that hurt others and hurt him. All right, welcome everyone to the fifth interview of the I Hurt podcast. I'm here today with Brad and with our guest of the afternoon, day, whenever you're watching or listening to this, Dave Gable. Dave, how do I know you? How do you know me? Or how does we, Brad know you? So we were introduced to each other by Brad. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I, I have a sarcasm comes out of me when I'm with Brad. So I, I was going to say we both had the unfortunate you know, experience of having worked in ministry with Brad and we were introduced in that unfortunate series of events, but, but realistically we both have done work with Brad. And so we were introduced, uh, the four of us that way. So you basically have taken away all my credibility. Thank you, Dave. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> um, so I thought it would be funny to start with some sort of story that I hear you two talk about all the time. And that is the red sweater story. So would you, would you explain Sure. Would you so uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Sarah and I were with, uh, at that time, it was the repossession company still. We were in England on a mission trip, and we went to a place called the Red Hill Christian Center, and we were given the task of doing nothing, which uh, <laughs> we are very poor at. And so uh, we had a few days of just um, really thinking about our value to him outside of what we did. And so... There's a hill uh, with a, a cross on it, and I had taken a red fleece on that trip. And You were very proud of that red fleece, though. I suppose I was. Yes. Um, I, I also had that yellow hat that didn't have a top on it that yep. ended up getting cut into keychains. <laughs> so uh, I went up on the hill and was just contemplating uh, who I was and um, letting go is kind of this thematic thing for me from the time I've been young, just allowing him to have everything, hopes and dreams and all that. And I took off the fleece and I put it on the cross. And uh, I remember walking down and you were sitting in like this little building thing just down from the the cross. And I made the comment to you that nobody, nobody wants to be owned. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, just a, a statement of me that I was taking everything that was on the outside that everybody could see that I felt like I could control, and I was putting it on the cross. Yeah, it wasn't and, mine anymore. Yeah, and the premise was basically that you were comfortable if you had an assigned duty to do, but just loving people and ministering to people was something you were learning to do. Yeah, it was really tough to know who I was without um, stated expectations. Yeah, and it was funny because when we left the Red Hill Christian Center in the van, you left the fleece on the cross as we drove out, and you had to say goodbye to us. Kind yeah. of symbolic of leaving part yeah. of your behind. Yeah, I think it may have ended up in uh, with one of the young people that we met there. So 
Yeah. There is another story with Dave, too, though, which is really a good one, which is right next to the uh, Red Hill Christian Center was a Sikh compound. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> and a Sikh compound is a different religion, and they would have their festivals and things up in this hill, but all the sewage and runoff, remember, would come down into uh, the Red Hill Christian Center. So uh, the director there wanted to find out what was really going on in the Sikh compound, so him, Dave, and I snuck in there. It was about midnight, probably. But it was funny because we were going incognito, so we got black hoodies on and black pants on and everything like that. Dave shows up with white pants. And so he's running across the sea compound with the moon, and it illuminated his pants. He looked like a figure with no torso running across this compound. Well, there's some funny stories for you. stories upon stories upon stories. So we'll move on because you're going to tell us more of your story in a minute. Um, but we're going to read from Matthew 7, 1 to 6 today. And it says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn their tears and turn and tear you in pieces. Why did you pick that one, Brad? Well, because one of the premises of the program is is that it isn't just about us getting hurt. Okay, it's the fact also that God hurts too. But the third component is that. God is equally hurt when we get hurt and we use that as an excuse to hurt other people. So he says here, sometimes we need to get the hurt and the problem out of our own eyes and not be hurting other people as a result of our own hurt. So to me, you know, I think when I've gone through intense times of pain, it starts with self-focus. I start to let God in, but then God has to also deal with me on how that hurt has caused me to look at people differently or wrongly or to hurt them as well. So it's an encouragement. If you're out there and you've been hurt by something, God cares about you, but he also wants to help you deal with the hurt that you've caused in other people's lives as well. Thanks, Brad. So, Dave, before you get onto your story of the hurt, um, would you just introduce yourself um, a bit about who you are, what you do, what you've done, where you're at right now? Okay, so um, I'm Dave Keeble. I actually, I currently pastor a church here in Gowanda. Um, so I've done all kinds of different things. Um, I grew up with a dad who's self-employed, so I was working with him from the time I was 12, 13 years old in the summer. And then um, I've done sales, I've done construction, I've done welding fabrication, I've done uh, parachurch ministry, I've done all kinds of different things. So. Um, there's lots of things I'm interested in, but that's the job I'm in right now. I don't anticipate ever doing anything other than what I do right now. I'm uh, very passionate about it, but I, I uh, relish opportunities to do other things as well, helping people with other skills. So um, one of my tags that I use all the time is always learning. I feel obligated when people say, how are you, to answer, like, like how much do you want to know? So one of my little phrases I'll throw out is I'm always learning, always learning something. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. So you're here today to talk about the hurt that you went through as mm -hmm. a teen. So will you tell the listeners and the viewers what that was? Yeah, so I've uh, been through a couple of things. Um, 
when I was 21, probably, um, my mom was diagnosed with uh, brain cancer. Um, out of the blue, she had had some issues, and uh, we thought she was dealing with some type of sinus issues. And um, I was married at the time, so I wasn't living at home. I got a call at work that my mom had been taken to the hospital and honestly was like, okay. I knew she had been having some issues but didn't think it was anything major. My boss convinced me to go to the hospital to see what was up. And so I uh, found out that day that she had um, a brain tumor, and they basically said that she likely would either succumb to it that day or um, probably be in a vegetative state for the rest of her life. She actually walked out of the hospital about four days later, which is miraculous, but uh, within about two and a half years, it took her life. So um, I lost her, but there, yeah, there's a lot more to how that all works together. So definitely one of the toughest things um, I've been through in my life. You said there's a lot of components to how that goes together. So, <clears throat> yeah, there are. You tell know, us what they are. All that? Yeah, okay. definitely. So, um, growing up, uh, my dad, like I said, was self-employed. He was busy. Uh, there were often times when he missed things, but I had a great relationship with my dad. He would always tell me he was proud. He would always brag about me or have me show people how I could throw a baseball or talk about school or different things I was good at. So I was always very secure with my dad. But my mom was my gauge of good enough. So she was the one who I would ask, am I good enough? And when I was very young, before my family kind of came to know the truth of the gospel, I would ask her, you think I'll go to heaven? And she would say, oh, you're a, you know, you're a good boy. You'll, you'll go to heaven. And she, so she was my kind of security blanket. But um, uh, for a lot of my life, um, I would say the most painful things often were just um, – uh, who I was, you know, and things I was going through. And I would feel often because my mom was a, a very strong person. Um, on every level, she was strong. She was emotionally strong. She was physically very strong. And I mean, I, I remember like wrestling around with my mom and she could totally beat me up till I was about 18 years old and all my friends. I mean, I tell the story, I, I came home from school multiple times and she was on my dirt bike in the woods. So my mom was just a, a tough girl, you know, um, so, uh, but she also could be somewhat controlling. And so I would go through moments in my life where I was dealing with things emotionally. And, um, I knew that if I let her in on that, she would just grab things and begin moving things around to kind of try and quote unquote fix things in my life. But, um, there wasn't a deep emotional connection with her for me. And um, it's only just been recently in revisiting some things that I've been through and, and how I cope with just people in life. You know, I've, people have heard me talk about heavies. Those are people who just have an awful lot of pull in my world and people who I'm concerned about whether or not they're happy or are they mad at me or are there expectations that I haven't fulfilled. And so um, I realized uh, years after my mom passed that what was the most painful about saying goodbye to her was not the the losing her in that moment it was that the person who had always been my gauge of good enough was dying and so from there how would i ever know if i was good enough so your hurt didn't begin when your mom passed away mm -mm. there had been a lot of hurt there actually so did your mom's yeah. death actually compound and complicate the hurt then? well it complicated it because the thing that i would always kind of scramble for in in trying to have this person approve of me 
just got really complex because now the person I had always looked to was had disappeared. You know, and I was married at the time when she when she passed away. So there's this whole kind of intricate story that God has kind of begun to unravel um, in the past, I would say, five or so years. But the overwhelming pain that I felt um, that had to do with losing my mom actually started when I was about five. And it, it sounds kind of crazy to talk about this. And it, I think we, we play things off. But when I first started school, um, I felt like I it wasn't where I wanted to be and I wanted to be with my mom. And I think I had this need for just affection from her, like just physical touch, just to be like swept up and sat on the couch with her and just loved as a little boy. And my mom was kind of a tough guy thing. And I didn't get that a lot from her. So when I began school, I remember feeling kind of just a severance there. And uh, my sister Mary was born about a year later and it was just like life was moving on for her and I knew that life had to move on with me. So for me, at five years old, it was like I moved out of the house, mm-hmm. right? And um, my mom would play down emotional things at times. You know, I oh, don't be a baby, you know, kind of toughen up. But I remember her crying the day I started school. Mm-hmm. And so certain um, key things in my life, I realized, all started in that moment. And so I began looking for this person who would be this foundational anchor point in my life. So I remember five years old, um, looking for my wife you know I'm gonna I'm gonna marry this girl I went to school with and she rode my bus and I kissed her on the bus on the cheek and she slapped me so that was definitely not a good first experience but I remember just liking different girls growing up through and and I would think about what will life be like with this person what about this aspect and I would think deeply about what my life with this person would be like and so I was looking for a person who would help me to nail down my identity, who would be able to tell me who I was and what I had to do in order to measure up. So when you look at the hurt that you experienced as a little boy, it affected you from the time you were a little boy all the way up. Right. And then when your mom passed away, it intensified it, redirected it. You were married at the time. Yeah. So how did it carry over? I mean, you'd been married a few years, right? I had been married um, two Two years? Two, almost three years. Two and a half years. I mean, what was, what was your relationship like with Sarah, you know, after your mom passed away? Yeah, I, mean, um, I mean, that was a huge emotional loss for you on many levels. Yeah. My, so my relationship, I mean, with my mom was a good relationship. We got along very well, and uh, she got along with Sarah really well after we got married. Before we got married, there was a little bit of little bit of tension there, but, <laughs> but um, uh, it was good, and it, it's, it's kind of odd because I'm from the time I'm five, I'm looking for this person who redefine this, redefines this role. So I think kind of one of the tie together things that, that I need to say in this, and it's going to be common to everybody, is we are all experiencing some level of loss and pain, whether it's how we think of ourselves or how we don't measure up or what we, if we had it, we'd be more loved. Or if, if I was that or did that, I would be more respected. And for me, like I needed some level of just like, physical like emotional affirmation reinforcing as a little boy and so I began looking to quell that feeling as a little boy so um being the best in uh in sports I remember that being a massive thing I can remember being enraged playing peewee football and and literally wanting to hurt people because my team was losing and if and I needed to win at everything 
And, uh, you know, I remember getting in trouble for getting low 90s on exams at 10 years old, 12 years old. So these expectations were really high. And so um, that was what I kind of always felt like was if I was the best at things, then I would be loved. So that's one of the early things. And was winning the only way you really knew whether you succeeded or not? Um, I think there had to be a a measurable thing that people would pat me on the back. Yeah, there had to be some tangible way for you to get recognition or to realize you've achieved a goal or whatever. Sure. And that's painful. That's a very difficult thing. And as you got older... That was a pain that you had to live with, you know, it, almost self-torturing in a way, yeah. right? Yeah, and there are times when you think you're doing a good job and you're going to measure up, and then somebody either doesn't see it or the expectations aren't met, and you feel so gut-punched that you start wondering who you are. And to be fair, even to this day, I'm, I'm a competitive person, and I tend to want to do the things I'm good at. I want to do things where I can wow somebody. You know, and it's part of the flesh and pride that that still wells up. And you don't want to do the things that that you're not good at, like video games. I will – I'll pay money to not play video games with my kids because, like, 10 minutes in when I'm sucking at something, I want to break things. But it's because – so I really feel like anger in a lot of people is is holding down a much deeper pain. And we can either rage or we can curl up on the floor and cry and die. And it's literally that difference. It's like the whole fight or flight thing, you know. So um, I don't like to be in places where I, I feel like I'm, I feel stupid or whatever because I feel like I don't deserve to be loved and respected. So at, core level. at what point in your life did you come to a point with Jesus and understanding who you were and who he was? And how did God then make a difference to this journey? Yeah, so um, when I was 19, I was faced with this challenge that um, he didn't own my life. And so it really began there where I just really began to surrender my life. And then um, it's so much about being willing to be honest with ourselves and and how we're feeling and and having an appetite for truth, right? Right. So um, we would come to spots in life, and I started realizing that the things I felt— had a lot to do with things I believed. And the truth was that when I felt worthless or angry, it was because of things I believed and that if I let myself, I could begin to remember some of the things that my whole life had reinforced those things as true, though they weren't true. Like the lies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, about a year and a half ago, I lost two very, very close um, uncles. They camped with our kids. They were like additional grandparents to my kids. and. Yeah. In that moment, a song came up that just began to eat my lunch. You know, I would, I would listen to it over and over, and it was so deeply emotionally um, impactful to me to hear this. And um, the words to the song started by saying, um, I wanted you for life. Mm. And it's like, I, I had no expectation of being emotional at all. But when I remember this moment that God led me into, I remember... I remember that. It said, I wanted you for life, you and me in the wind. I never thought there'd come a time when our, when our story would end. And so, like, God leads me into the sanctuary at church. I'm pastoring at this point about a year and a half ago, and and God's like, come in. He has said for years to me, come away with me. Like, mm-hmm. leave all the concerns and thoughts. Why? Just come away, just you and me. Let, let me talk with you. Yeah. And this was one of those moments, and I was like, I do not want to go in the sanctuary and fall apart right now. But I went in and um, began to um, let that song roll through my head and just wept in that moment. And I had moments, in fact, working for Pure for God. I remember one day we went to see um, The End of the Spear. Mm-hmm. 
and um, <clears throat> drove back to the office. And I had gone down to the front row in, in the movie theater and just wept at the end of that movie. And there's a moment where um, I think it's Nate Saint's character, the little boy, is running down the runway waving to the plane his dad is in, and he's never going to see his dad again. Wow. It's this goodbye moment. You know, I saw the movie Titanic, and when the character fades, when Jack fades away, same pull. It's the same goodbye moment. Yeah. And so um, when those moments would happen here and there, and I had really learned to file my emotions, but they would be so overwhelming. I, I like you couldn't stop the emotion. It was just so overwhelming. And so um, that day in the sanctuary, I realized that the loss of my mom in that moment, you know, um, I wanted you for life. You and me in the wind had everything to do with saying goodbye to her at five and not 23. Wow. Yeah. 23 was this, like I had lost her 20 years prior, but the day she died, it smacked me in the face that she was mm-hmm. gone. It's like she was gone, but I could still see her. And I think internally there's, there's a level of hope we have that the hurt will go away. Right. And until I came to a point where I realized, and I remember Sarah probably remembers this too. I, I came home one day and this is a months long process. This is a couple of months after this moment in the sanctuary of realizing where the, the pain was. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, um, I had prayed to God uh, that at five years old, I began looking for my anchor point. And I found a wonderful person who has been extremely supportive, who has believed in me, and and much of uh, who I've become is because she thought I could. you know. And I think that's really powerful. Like if you're a, a wife listening, I have a, a line I say, husbands can be anything that their wives believe they can be. You know, and I really think there's truth in that. So I found a great person, my best friend, love to be together where we were raising five boys and a total gift to me but I had looked for an anchor point and because I was looking for a godly woman with character who would love me and love Jesus more than me and be a great mom I had found a wonderful wife but I had been looking for a Jesus right and I think what you say that's that's the type of wife you want young men right now listening to be looking for that's the right thing to seek but if that's all they seek and they think that that is the thing that's going to complete them and make everything else go away. Right. You're saying it's not. Yeah, it's not. And, and it, but it does speak to the character of God at the same time. Yeah. Right. Because when he says that he can work all things together for the good of those who have sold their lives into his, right. He used the deep emptiness of my heart to lead me to a blessing from him, though he knew what I really needed was him. You know, it's it's interesting, Dave. We've had five guests on so far. Every one of them has talked about the significance of a godly person being the instrument that God used to really move them ahead in their hurt Mm -hmm. and in their their healing. And I think you could say this. I'm probably speaking for you, but it's kind of the premise of this program. When you undergo a, a deep hurt, you don't just get over it quickly. You don't even know how that hurt could come back and affect you five years later, 10 years later in your marriage, right? I mean, it's just something, it just creeps up at times and it just hits you almost like it's come out of nowhere. Right. How do you talk to someone who has gone through trauma and hurt and they want to just feel better? They want to get better. What would you say to them? Right. Um, The way I kind of a a picture that I use for that is, um, you know, when a plow is sunk into soil. You know, 
deep grief and deep loss and trial and things we go through is like a plow sinking into soil and it turns that soil over and if you leave the soil you just leave it it dries out and it'll grow weeds and stuff but it's really disrupted and I think he is faithful to finish the work he begins but we have to come to a point where we see everything that we're going through as something that he's using he's spinning it he's weaving it and only in that place only in that place can everything be beautiful. There's a certain beauty in having lost my mom. There's a certain beauty in, in having gone through the pain of having miscarriages. Or I've had family members who have died of leukemia, died of cancer, died in car crashes, uh, killed. I mean, traumatic things. But if you, if you know that he is one who, who can make beauty out of shrapnel and, and all the garbage that life throws at us, it, it lends hope to it. So I do think that as much as we go through a ton of pain, some of the most meaningful moments for me are being able to step into a moment where someone has lost a mom or a dad, losing a child, a whole different thing that I don't feel as equipped to walk into. But for somebody who's lost a mom, to be able to walk in and say things like, isn't it strange how there's a bit of a, a sweetness on the backside? You know, there's a movie called Collateral Beauty, which is one of my favorites, Will Smith. And there is a certain collateral beauty in pain and loss, but only someone you know has been there can say something like that because you know you can't get away from the fact that they have stood in your shoes. And so we all have said dumb things at funerals. or and so We just want people to feel better. But if you've been through a place where you've experienced loss, I think you have a unique ability to step in and say things that are deeply true, that may seem on the surface hard to hear, but they weld hearts. And they know? mean more. Like the old yeah. comment of like, it's all going to be okay, or even some scripture, like quoting to that to somebody like right in the middle of grief, yeah. that God is working things for good. It's true, but... I but think what's sometimes good. What's, good? what's good and and do we flippantly say it because we want to make ourselves feel better that we've said something to them and now we relieve ourselves of the duty of having to comfort them. Right. One thing I've never said that I think would be very, very fitting is um, something along the lines of you're going to discover where many people have never even thought of it. Mm -hmm. That okay can be different than what you ever thought okay would be. Yeah. Because if I say to you in your loss, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's not the okay that you've dreamt of your whole life. It's it's a different okay, but there is a different okay. Yeah, and you know, life is always going to turn out different than you ever think it's going to. Yeah. I've never met anybody that their life turned out the way they thought they would. But I love the scripture. It says, weep with those that weep. It doesn't say go up and talk to them. Right, There's yeah. just sometimes in that first stages of grief, nobody can come up and say anything really, but just that they're there, yeah. right? that they're uh, remembering you, involved in your life, kind. You know, I always tell people, you know, the week or two after a funeral, stuff like that is when everybody gets cards and letters, and then weeks and months later, nobody's – I'm saying that a true friend is the one who calls you a month later, two months later, remembers right, right. that you're still in that state of grief. Yeah, in the moment, I think just an I love you yeah, is the most powerful thing to say, like, my heart hurts for you. It's almost an admission that you can't fix it. 
Because when you say things trying to fix it, it's almost as if you're saying this can be fixed. And we all know in those moments it can't. And it is so odd to be in that funeral home. I have a massive family, so I had been in the funeral home where my mom's uh, wake was countless times. And I remember saying to cousins and aunts and uncles and friends, it is so odd to be on this side of the line. You know, it's just. But it equips you to be on that side of the line. Yeah, it does. I remember uh, I was really ill for a a season, and um, we called a bunch of our friends, and I remember I called you, and you wanted to drive up on your motorcycle, but you couldn't. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you remember this or not, but you did call me and say, Brad, I am there. You said, I'm around your bed, and so are your friends praying for you right now. Yeah. And I remember in the depth of my pain, you were there. It wasn't just words. But I knew because you loved me and you were my friend and we had been through things together that you were hurting right along with me. Mm-hmm. You know, you get cards and you get letters, but when somebody says something like that out of a position of they're hurting with you, it means just as much as if you were there. Yeah. And to me, we have people tell these stories because we want people to hurt together, that they can understand all the things that you've been through. And you have a great marriage. The church is going really well. Your boys love you. you got so many things in your life that are God's blessing and growing, but a lot mm-hmm. of that has come out of that turned-up soil of pain and hurt. Yeah. And even now, you're <laughs> still processing that, right? Yeah, one of the toughest things in all of life is to feel as though you're out of control. You know, and the whole the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I think you can take the word control and stick it in there for the word money because it's the most tangible example of control we have. And so probably the most painful time of my life, honestly, was in my early teens. I had a girlfriend and there was some, just some school issues going on. And my parents threatened to take me out of the school where she was. And it was not a good relationship. It wasn't a good situation, but I remember feeling as though my whole life was crumbling and I couldn't talk to my mom because she would grab control and, and make decisions that I didn't want her to make. I was trying desperately to hold on to this relationship because I had found an anchor that at that point I had attached to in a massively emotional way. And I remember just walking into a field off my parents' property and weeping because there was no one I could let in. Because everybody who cared for me would have talked to my mom or dad or been concerned for me. It would have come back to them and accomplished exactly what I was so afraid would happen. So in that moment, I was alone, completely alone, and uh, and felt out of control. And that, that Honestly, aside from losing my mom and other tragedies I've been through, that was the most deeply emotional place for me. So when you're talking about young people, for me, 14, 15 was like the edge for me. I remember not being able to think straight. I remember like people would say hi to me at school and I could, I would just start crying and I'm like, I can't cry because then my mom will, you know, start trying to get into my world and she'll mess everything up and deeply painful. But in that place, I didn't feel like. I had a God who was walking with me and felt my pain and had plans. And no matter what happens, he would work them out. You know, I think from the time we we meet Christ to to the day we die, we are in this process of him changing the meaning and perspective of everything we encounter. His job is not to make everything we see and feel and think and say better. What he wants to do is change the way we see and the way we think and the meaning we assign to things. And when that happens, he brings this massive beauty and he, he brings peace and joy and purpose into life. So there's, without letting go, we can't ever taste the sweetness of who he is. 
But what makes you let go? Moments where you don't have a choice but to let go, Which right? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. and it's, it's counterintuitive. You feel like, I, I, I want him to limit my pain. But instead, what does the psalmist say? Lo, though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Well, certainly he could have detoured you on a mountaintop or on the valley. Right? Well, we're but talking about how God grieves with people. So I think if people get to that rock bottom lonely place, God isn't like, oh, if you call out to me now, it's too late. You're on your own. Like, I'm off. Bye. Yeah. He loves us and he grieves with us. And so if you're in that, you know, 15 years old and, and, and you turn around and you say, I need help, Jesus. He's not going to not show up. Right. Right. And in that place, I, for whatever reason, I felt completely alone. And I, and I don't know. There wasn't a calling out to him in those moments. I'm sure I mm-hmm. prayed some, Lord, please help me not break up with this girl. Yeah. You know, type of stuff. But, but it's, it's amazing to think that he chose to rescue us in his own grief. He chose to grieve his own loss mm-hmm. to save us. Mm-hmm. So grief has to be one of the ways that he dynamically changes who we are. Yeah. Are we are we brave enough to embrace what he can do in that moment though? Well and like you know I always think of how Jesus wept knowing that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Like he could have walked in and been like, What are you all crying about? I'm about to do look at what yeah. I'm about to do, but he got there and he actually <clears throat> wept with them. Yeah. And then went and fixed it. He felt so, their pain for sure. Yeah. And who knows? I mean the Bible says that he has felt everything that we deal with. He may have been feeling a bit of the disappointment of everyone knowing had he been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Like not only are they weeping, but they're, they're kind of putting some fault on him. Mm-hmm. And that may have been a little bit of what he felt as well. So we'll know someday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, when it all boils down to it, people that are deeply hurt easily fall into the trap of isolating themselves. Yes. Loneliness absolutely. intensifies hurt. And it's just this instinct that we have sometimes to separate ourselves, thinking that that's going to help. It never does. We want to encourage young people and people that have been hurt by the church or been hurt by people that they need to eventually get to the point where they step back into that situation again, whether it's a family member or whether it's a church or whatever, because as long as they stay isolated, like you did for a while, yeah, you don't understand God. He can't come in and really minister to that deepest part yeah, of and you. And I consciously wanted to hold him outside of it because I felt as though there were ulterior motives, and my, my experience of leadership was they just want to control everything. Yes. But um, I realized in that process, too, that isolation in itself is one of the ways our enemy – can in a very friendly way in what seems like a supportive friend who's got your back encourage you to stay isolated mm-hmm. and sometimes turning your back on isolation and, and living that way means saying goodbye to something that feels as though it has been there to protect you and guard you and watch your back when actually mm-hmm. it has been a, a deceptive way our enemy wants to keep us from finding life and healing yeah our, our attribute of God today is that God is truth. And that just simply means that God's incapable of lying or deceiving. So God never lied or deceived. Satan lied and deceived right. you. Right. That intense, And that's true with everybody in hurt. And that's why God is really the main component, I think, in the healing from deep hurts. Because everything else is lies or half-truths or deception. It's only when you allow truth back into your life. Can God really begin to take hurt, minister to it, heal it, give it purpose, and even bring you out of it so you can move into whatever has been prepared for you? Yep. 
And I think a lot of times when we get hurt, we kind of feel like God has lied to us or deceived us, right? And right. We, we have an internal truth of what he would look like if he was good. Yes. But yes. sometimes, like literally, we can't handle the truth. <laughs> right? Yeah, great line. But but there's so much there. And I've said a lot of times, you know, um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what's the truth? Well, Jesus is the truth. Well, Jesus loved Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is the truth. And he is, at the core, the truth. Mm-hmm. But anything that's true is the truth. If you feel like you are worth less because you didn't conquer at this or you're not a straight-A student or a Ph.D., um, if that's the truth and you come to deal with that, you will find freedom. If you have anger problems and you come to the truth of you have anger problems, yep. you will find freedom in that. The funny thing is of all the things like feeling like I need to be the best at everything, I'm the oldest of four kids, and my whole life would be like, oh, I'm obviously the smartest one. I'm the least educated <laughs> of all four siblings. We'll and verify, God, Dave, you're not. And, okay. <laughs> and, and it's funny because God has me in this place where I've thought sometimes, you know, oh, I should should probably get an MDiv or I should get like a go after a doctorate in something and God's like no because I'm doing things in you that shouldn't make sense to anybody and all you're trying to do is put letters behind your name so people give you that pat on the back and I will be your pat on the back yeah and so in everything that he does every time he blesses ministry and stuff I have this little tagline like in spite of me in spite of us and I've had people say no no you're awesome at things no and I'm like well listen I don't know how he's doing this all I can know to do in a day is let the day be what he has meant for it to be and let go. Yeah, and chase him with all my heart. And even in prayer, like pray like you're six. Just be honest. You know, yeah. just really simple. And so. that works to anybody, no matter what the source of their hurt or pain has come from. Right. right? Yeah. Pursue God. And the funny thing is, is so often we distance ourselves from God and distance ourselves from God's people because they may have been the source of hurt but they're driving us away from the only real solution that we're ever going to find, and that is to pursue Christ as an individual in spite of what's going on in the church, your family, or hurt, or whatever. Just continue to pursue him. Yeah, and I would say um, um, often I'll, I'll kind of preempt people's future on this and, and say there will be times when you begin to seek God for healing from hurts that you've experienced or for just the correct meaning to be in all of it. There will be moments when you feel like you're going backwards, like that he is not the answer. This is obviously not working. I feel worse today than I did yesterday. You're going to feel that. It's part of the process. And so just knowing that that will happen means that when you get there, it doesn't change the narrative. You know, I'll often tell people, you're going to have a really junky day, maybe within the next week. You're going to question everything, all the growth. It's going to happen. And I'm saying this so that when you get there, you remember me saying that totally normal. It's part of growing, and it helps them not to bail on the process. Yeah. And we always ask people, uh, the last question is, if you had to talk to somebody that had gone through exactly the same thing as you, say they're 23, what would you say? Um, I think every time we look back at life, like, like you remember 21, 22. Yeah. Do you know more now? Yeah. You think of yourself as, oh, I obviously know more now. Mm-hmm. So just because we all share that universally, the question, do you think that you will discover things in the next year or two that you don't know today? There are always perspectives and angles and details that we don't know right. about what has happened, where God was, how does it make sense, and we will learn. And 
whether we, whether or not we learn it here, where every question we have will be answered. So mm-hmm. don't give up the hope of meaning being lent to every detail we've ever experienced. It may be here. It may not be here. But there's always something we can learn about him and what he's doing in his heart that makes yeah. a difference. So, like, expect it. We, we don't expect, looking back, that we knew everything at 21 or 30 or 40 for me. Um, so why would we think that there isn't something more to learn about who he is tomorrow? Right. You know? And I would add to that and say, find yourself a community of healthy people. Yeah, and a few people who can speak truth into you and be yeah. like, I know you feel this. I know you feel like there's no way God could be fair in this moment. It's yeah. it's not the truth. Right. But it's okay that you're feeling that in this moment. Like he's he's big enough to handle it. He's yeah. got big shoulders, yeah. right? And I'm speaking to people that are listening now and saying if you don't feel like you have that community and actually you are in a season of isolation and you're lonely and you have maybe been hurt by the church or the people that you used to go to you can't go to anymore, reach out and email us or find us on Instagram or Facebook and contact us because this is the reason we're doing it and we want to help and we want to pray for you. We want to be there for you. And we'll say this at the end of every interview now because um, loneliness is such a deep part of grief and pain and it's exactly where the enemy wants you and we want to pray with you and and bring you out of that and bring the light to your grief. So um, go and find us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, youtube um we have an email that will come up at the end of the video or on the description of the podcast um and then finally dave we ask every single guest to close us in prayer yeah for sure um i would definitely say that the the most huge changes in my life the ones that i would give everything for um have come through hard moments it's always Mm -hmm. through the grief it's it's never through ease that we sink deep roots so for sure yeah i'll pray pray all right Lord, thank you for the time uh, that we have today. I pray that every every heart who hears this would be drawn to seeking you and um, looking for opportunities to hear your voice. And we know from your word that you have set us up uh, like a good dad playing hide-and-seek with a little boy or girl. And Lord, give us eyes to see your tears with us, uh, your smiles in our, in our victories and wonderful moments. But Lord, that you are always around the next bend, waiting for us to reach out for you. I pray that um, we would embrace the moments that hurt at times to find you in them um, because that's where you uh, are most visible a lot of times. Thank you for the pain that I've been through. Though it wasn't easy, I wouldn't trade it. And um, God, I just pray that you would be the hope of hearts that um, just need life and love. Lord, that people would feel you sweep them up in your arms with no strings that they would know that what you want to tell them more than anything is that you deeply love them everything else comes from there all the washing away of sin and changing of character only can happen when we trust you so lord help us to know your deep love for us i pray that you just uh, make this all a blessing to people who need you deeply in jesus name amen Amen. Amen. well dave thanks for being with us yeah thanks for having me you can close her out Bye. (laughs) Oh, that was easy. (laughs)